Well, it's very good to be with you. Good morning. <laughs> Strange to be from this side of things, but <laughs> yes, as um, Richard said, another South African. I think this place is sort of bristling with South Africans, <laughs> isn't it? But um, I've been in Harpenden for about eight years now. I love the area. And the first time that I walked through those doors and came into this church, I truly did feel at home, just as Richard was saying this morning, just a sense of belonging and relating. So it's great to be here to share with you today. Pastor Chris often says that when we read passages of scriptures, some of them just leap off the page. Well, the, the scriptures that I'd like to share with you this morning not only leap off the page, but they grip me, and they grip me deeply every time that I read them. Let's look at Isaiah 61, which should be on the screens. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow in them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love those verses. I've called this talk today the divine exchange because that's exactly what it is. It is a divine exchange. As Richard was saying, we come in and we, we have a sense of expectancy of, of seeing what God has for us. But in the early times, we come to him with so much clutter, so many mistakes, so many messes, so much that's broken us. And in exchange, this is what these words that we're saying, he gives to us the peace, he gives to us assurance, he gives to us the beauty instead of the ash and joy instead of mourning. It's an incredible exchange, and it is called the good news, the gospel. So I'm very comfortable if you're excited. I know when you go to rugby and cricket and, and some of the football games, you can stand up and whoop and cheer because that's good news when your guys have scored a goal, and there are a lot of South Africans and others who love rugby and sport. So if you can sense the good news of God, and you get excited, I'm very happy if you go, whoops, or, or amen, or as, as my husband sometimes says, preach it, brother, but it's not me he talks about, <laughs> brother. So it is good news, and we shouldn't be self-conscious about just enjoying the good news of God, because good news, or gospel, is an old English word, God's spell, which means glad tidings. So the whole of what we share is good news, it's glad tidings. And it was interestingly from this scripture that I've, we've just read, Isaiah 61, when the gospel writers record Jesus first beginning his earthly ministry, going into a synagogue, he unrolled this ancient scroll of Isaiah and he started reading scripture that was very familiar with everybody in the synagogue. The men were in one place, the women and some others. The outsiders were outside, but those words would have been very familiar. And he started to read. We get the story in Luke chapter four. Again, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The same verses, not all of that passage in Isaiah, but those first ones. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody was suddenly very quiet. As he said, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Nobody had ever spoke with such authority. Nobody had ever spoken with such a power, such a presence of God, Father God, because Jesus was God, he is God. So Jesus in their midst was the embodiment of these words. And in fact, over the next three years, through his ministry, he lived and then he died. These words, that he came, anointed of God to pre preach the good news and to set the captives free. This incredible divine exchange, everything he did day by day, moment by moment, as he traveled around, he was living out these very words from Isaiah. It's just amazing. The fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. He was anointed as no one has ever been before or since. Some of the windows in the old churches show that there's a sort of a light around the people. Have you seen those? When you look, you see this almost glow around them. That's really showing the anointing. Um, this amazing sense of God's presence and empowering and radiance when he fills. And it seemed to me when I was a child and I was forced to go very unwillingly to, to church for the first time, I was about seven years old, and I, I sat in these church rows, it was dark and cold, and looked up and I saw stained white glass windows for the first time, and there was this definite ring around the head. I realized those were soup plates. In fact, I, I, I could be sure those were soup plates. And in fact, Jesus always had a soup plate around his head. And in some of the other stained glass windows where I looked, I saw there were others who also had these soup plates around their heads. And I was completely puzzled. So what happened with me, actually, was I, as a South African, and at three months old, my father got a, a big job on the copper belt, copper belt in Zambia on the mines. So he went up with his little family, my sister and I, and my mum, and we started to live up in a very tiny mining town. And got, when I got to um, about four or five, I had a most wonderful life of running through the bush. We were right on the edge of the bush. Our next door neighbor was a professional hunter. He often, his clients, shot a, a lioness or a, an elephant or a buck and the baby was left, the little lion cub. So when he came back from the hunting trips, it was great excitement because many times were these wonderful little animals that were our pets. So it was a very wild time. We were always dirty, we were always scruffy, muddy, but we just climbed trees, we had so much fun. Well, that life was suddenly brought to an end when I was seven because my parents decided that my sister and I needed to go to a fine school with good education in South Africa. And that meant traveling three days and two nights on a steam train, all the way from Kitwe area, all the way down to the Eastern Cape in South Africa. It seemed a great adventure the first time until I had to have all my hair pretty well cut off with clippers because we had to look after ourselves. Um, and when I got to the boarding school, I realized all girls, strict uniform, bells. There was a bell for everything. 
5.30 in the morning, we could get up, make our beds, shine our shoes, another bell, run down the corridor, make the prefect's bed, shine her shoes, another bell, run down for breakfast, another bell, lessons, another bell, homework, all the way through till the last bell for going to sleep at night. And I was in a dormitory of 16 girls, and I just thought, this is such a calm down. Not only could we not have pets, we were not allowed to climb trees, and the best we could have was a little wriggly silkworm in a shoebox. I just knew that life had changed for me. <laughs> it's a world come down. But I could actually put up with missing my parents, which was just so hard, you can imagine. We only went home at July and at Christmas, twice a year. It was very, very hard for a seven-year-old, so lots of tears and toughening up. And I learned to live with that. And I learned to live with you no know, climbing trees and the bells. The worst part of all, without a doubt, was Sunday. Because not just once, but twice every Sunday, we had to go to church. And our church, where I walked in, it was like what I imagined the inside of a coffin. It was dark, musty, damp. The minister would lean over the pulpit with his big knuckles, with slit eyes and a deep voice. Everything was an octave lower. And he would go on and on. And our little row of girls waiting for the exit would see the old ladies in the front row, all their hats nod down, as he really did put them to sleep, until the organist pounced onto the last chords of the final hymn, and they all shot up and woke up. And that's how we got through the Sunday services. But that is where I saw, for the first time, the soup plates on the stained glass windows. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder what this is. I never got any answers from that man who leaned over his pulpit. And I vowed then I would never set foot in a church again, because when I eventually got out of boarding school, aged 17, I just thought, church, not for me. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that God has other plans for our lives? In fact, we read in scripture, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I love that from Jeremiah. What happened to me was um, when I was 17, I won a scholarship to go to America as an American field scholar. And I went from this very, very uh, conservative boarding school to the Midwest of America. I was sent to Sioux City in Iowa. I don't know if anybody even heard of Iowa or Sioux City in Hawaii. Any Americans here? No, well, Sioux City, Iowa, is the center of the stockyards industry. So cowboys worked there, and the cattle were roped in and brought in in, in, in masses. Um, and the cowboys all wore high heel boots because they were treading in dung, so they needed to be shimmy raised, excuse me. They all had kerchiefs because they mopped the sweat and tied them back on. And they didn't smoke tobacco, cigarettes as you see in advertisements. They all chewed tobacco. They had cherry flavors in pouches. Then they chewed them and they put them in their bottom lips like this. <laughs> this big wad and sucked through the bottom teeth. So many cowboys had dark brown bottom teeth. Then I soon learned you've got to know which side of the cowboy to walk on because after the chewing comes the spadoon. <laughs> so we, I'd sort of be dodging while they were spitting. And even in the supermarkets, there were spittoons. So it was quite an interesting year for me. I was a cheerleader. I got really involved in the American life, and it was great fun. The most significant thing of all 
was that one of my friends invited me home. When I met her mother, there was something about her that struck me so deeply. She had so much love and warmth, a peace about her. She had seven children, so life wasn't easy, but she just conducted life in the most wonderful way. And she had a glow, a radiance, that was just so appealing. And I wondered what her secret was. And after a while, I asked her what it was that was different about her. And she explained to me, the first time I'd ever heard, in a very natural way, that she had a personal relationship with Jesus. She really knew him. She prayed to him throughout the day. She lived her life with him and in all the moments. She shared with him and he directed her. And I was so intrigued. I just thought, this is amazing. It's, I've never heard of anything like this before. And I really envied what she had. I wanted what she had. But I thought, well, maybe later when I'm much older. But then there were times when I was baking with her and I saw her recipe books fell open, and there, was, there were gospel chorus sheets stuck in there that she was singing while she baked. And in her bathroom, there was a little dumpy living Bible. Do you remember those living Bibles that she would soak in the bath while she was reading the Bible? And I thought, this is an amazing lady. Years later, when I was studying psychology, French, English literature, as majors in university back in South Africa, I was thinking of all the questions that go through your mind sometimes. What is love? What is truth? Will we ever know what this world is all about? Why are there so many problems? Why are there people that are so misdirected? I was learning about nihilism and existentialism and Freud and Jung and Adler. And I thought about that woman and that amazing assurance that she had. And I wondered, I could go through my whole life asking people about God, reading books about God, I would never know unless I asked him myself. But would he answer me? How would he answer me? Well, the thought gripped me so that I couldn't sleep, and I thought, well, nobody will know. I'm by myself in my room at university. I'll get down on my knees. I don't know if you have to face anywhere or do anything. And I would just ask him, God, are you real? Show yourself. Once I'd prayed that honestly as a 21-year-old, I was astounded that he met me in the most incredible way through as if I was standing under a waterfall of love, a real true sense. And I kept thinking, is this Freud saying it's a projection of the father figure or inducement or hallucination? It wasn't any of those. It was a real amazing conversion experience by myself in my room at university, like that, it has never left me. That sense of God's presence, of knowing him. The divine exchange happened to me that way. And I've learned over these many years of loving God and serving God, God comes to everyone of his own secret staircase. You can be in a crowded supermarket, you could be in the bath, you could be sitting here in this church and you have a prayer inside of you. I've always asked people, I've relied on books, or I've always wanted to know for myself and you, you've never actually prayed that prayer, God, are you real, show me. In this quiet moment, that's exactly what you could do. Show me this divine exchange. 
Give me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the heaviness that I'm carrying. I receive that gift. Come to me. And in a most remarkable way, unseen way, that's what he starts doing. It's just extraordinary, the divine exchange, because he is real and his presence is so strong here this morning. It's not some dreary minister leaning over the pulpit, but it's a vital union with the living God, where you are, anywhere, at any time. I always picture the cross as a cosmic key, because it was on the cross, we were singing earlier, that Jesus actually took everything that separated you and me from knowing God in an intimate, beautiful, fresh way, a living experience of abundant life. Jesus took that on himself. The man who was anointed of God, who had the fullness of God in him bodily, became sin, riddled with sin, that we could have this amazing exchange the cosmic key, that's the cross. And he sets before us the choice. I, I set before you life and death. He said, choose life. It's a simple decision we make, but it's almost as if there's yes written in capital letters across the horizon. Yes, say yes to God. And often you're chugging along in the train and it's, it's crowded and it's a lot of people busy and you've been standing all day and now you're standing all the way home in the, in the tube or in the train. In a split moment, you can say, yes, God, and he transforms that moment. Maybe you're battling with just eating a bit too much more than you need to eat and you're back in the kitchen, you've got the kettle going and that cookie jar and all the biscuits are there or the sandwich maker and you think, help me, what can I do? that moment of surrender, of just abandoning everything and saying yes to God, he will turn, he will turn things, it's amazing. Let's have a look at just line by line what actually happens when we make that decision. The Lord anoints, because we're going back to our scripture, the Lord anoints, what does that mean? Well, the name Jesus comes from Yeshua, which is the Hebrew for Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is salvation. So the name of Jesus is Jesus the Savior, the rescuer. But Christos is the Christ. It means the anointed one. So you and I, as Christians, are Christ. We are the anointed one. So maybe you've never felt that you were anointed in any way, but you can pray for more anointing. I do. I pray daily for more and more anointing. And that's what it is, this absolutely wonderful sense of being drenched with the presence of the fullness of God through, through this Christos, the anointed one. Think of the burning bush quickly of Moses. I love that. It was any old bush in the desert, and there weren't many deserts, many bushes in the desert of Sinai. And Moses was working for 40 years as a shepherd there, and he must have passed this old bush many times with his sheep, and it was hot in the sun and flies. One day, this bush was glowing and he drew nearer and this whole bush seemed to just be alive with fire and flames and this divine presence. So much so that old Moses took off his shoes and he worshipped. He didn't worship the bush. He worshipped God in the bush. 
And I often think, you know, we are in your bush, you and me. It doesn't really matter about the outer packaging. But what's inside is if we are infused with the living presence of God in a real way, I'm not saying people would take off their shoes, but I will do say there will be a sense of godliness, like with that woman I met in the States that never left me. Because it's not anything that we're trying, but it's God in us. That's the hope of glory. So he anoints, and that is good news. He renews. And I often think, you know, if people just understood this, they wouldn't go around being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Have you met people like that? I have plenty. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you just pray right then, Lord, somehow use me. Send people. Let them understand that this isn't the way that you've created us to be. And many people just want change. It's my boss's fault. It's my partner's fault. It's the weather. You know how it is. All these things, they just need a change. But look what Jesus does. He renews. He brings that change from within. He transforms. He makes us a new person. He actually changes our mindset. And that's nothing that we can will. I know I've, you can put sticky things all over the fridges and say, I must do this, I must do that. But how amazing is he actually can change us from within. And he empowers. He anoints, he renews, he transforms us, and he empowers us. This is the divine exchange. So that we can actually go out in his strength, with his peace, with his authority, and we can pray. We can pray for the sick. We can be um, the loved one for the lonely. We can encourage the down and out. We can actually show that divine exchange through our lives. It's extraordinary because of him in us, working through us. And that's why this growing family campaign is so wonderful, that as the church grows, we need bigger premises, we need more space for the children, for the teenagers, for the feed ministry. So let's keep praying passionately for increased place so that we can show this love and life of God. I want you to just run quickly through how it happens. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> how does it happen? <laughs> well, it's not just me saying to you it happens, it's in this word, and if you look at my Bible, the little scribblings and stickers and things, I just love carrying that around and dipping into that because it is life to me. I'm glad you asked how it happens. It is the most natural thing if you look around the world. And I'm gonna read from a couple of Psalms, Psalm um, 12, because it's Psalm 1, because it's a secret thing that happens. It is, it is um, the secret place where nobody can see. I mean, I can see you and you can see me. But what happens is in the secret place of you where nobody can see. Someone says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I'm just going to zip through this quickly. That's life-giving. He who meditates on his law day and night, feeding on this word. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I love that because there's a picture of a tree, and it's a tree, it's got its roots, you don't see the roots, deep down into the river, into the streams of water, and it's because of that secret supply that it's drawing up that it does bear fruit in its season. 
And when the heat comes and, the, and there's drought and difficulties, the leaf does not wither. And they're prospering. Why? Because the roots, the roots and the secret place are going in and drawing nourishment and life. We talked about the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's what it is, drawing up his life into you. Let's look quickly at Psalm 92. I love this one because this, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with the Amplified, but I read it a lot. It's like quadraphonic sound, cinemascope, blazing technicolor in 4D. That's what it is, because it's got, it's got all the Greek words packed next to each other, so you get a good sense of the meaning of it. Sometimes the English is quite bland, but the Greek original is so rich. The uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, and fruitful. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic, stable, durable, and incorruptible. Again, we get the same theme, planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of God. See, it's not a meager life. Flourish in the courts of the Lord. Growing in grace, they shall bring forth fruit in old age. I love that. <laughs> that really encourages me, and I think all the, el- the ones who are maturing amongst our midst, especially the ladies, isn't it wonderful? We don't have to go the Botox route. Well, I... <laughs> um, my husband always jokes and says, Joan Rivers has had so much cosmetic surgery done that she can't cross her legs and smile at the same time. Well, I don't know, work that one out, but I think it's wonderful here. <laughs> Growing in grace, they shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap, of spiritual vitality, and rich in the verdure of trust, love, and contentment. Oh, that's what I want. I really do, and um, I pray that's what we'll all be sharing. This is the divine exchange, because in the secret place, the roots are drawing up the living water. And then let's just move finally to Jeremiah 17. This was written in 626, 627 BC, before Christ, all those hundreds of years ago. And when you read it, it's as relevant as reading today's newspaper. All the celebrities with their good life, so-called. Verse six, we haven't put it up yet, but it says, those who trust in themselves, who believe in them alone, who curse God and they don't need anything like that, however big that might seem, they shall be like a stunted shrub in the barren waste of the salt-encrusted plains. Nothing can be more damning than that. Salt-encrusted plains, barren wilderness, a stunted shrub. Because no matter how big a deal they want to come across, what kind of a life, what quality of life do they really have? Now we get to the good news. Here it is, Jeremiah 17, verse seven. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree. Here it is again, the same theme, planted by the water, by the streams, that sends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. There are times in our lives when we can be really fearful because the pressure is turned on and the heat comes. But these leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. Another version says, it shall not be anxious and full of care. It never fails to to bear fruit. 
So even if you don't realize it, when you are drawing up his life and his nourishment, you will be bearing fruit. It's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. I was in Mauritius and when Cyclone Claudette hit some years ago, I was in a little seaside cabin all by myself. I was doing a, a, a book. Um, somebody asked me to write a foreword for a book. And the cyclone struck, and we all knew we had to stay in and button up the hatches. And um, I was in the toilet section of this cavern because that's the part where it was concrete, and I knew the roofs would be ripped off and the shutters. The sound was eerie and screeching and chilling, and it was just hovering right above me, it seemed. And, and it was deafening. And then after what seemed hours, there was this eerie silence that was the eye of the cyclone. And I went to the front and I looked out and I saw little children scurrying around, picking up debris and running back. And some saying, no, 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 go in. Because within minutes, whew, this wind came and I went back into my little place and lay on the floor. And that noise was terrifying. And I just trusted in the Lord there. When I actually went out after hours, what seemed hours, trees, trees were uprooted. Boats were snapped in two, cars were upside down, and I just saw total destruction. And what amazed me were these beautiful trees that were down this archway of, uh, towards the big hotel where I had been in the cabin. They were lying on their sides, massive trees, and I saw their roots were short, stumpy roots. They didn't have a chance in that storm. And I realized we need to put our roots deep, let them grow strong. And as time is marching on, we're coming to what is probably the signature tune, if we're talking about themes, of this church, the vineyard. Let's look at John 15. I am the true vine, my father the gardener. Basically what this is saying is, remain in me, verse four, and let me remain in you, because no branch can bear fruit by itself. If you live in me and I in you, in this vital union, we will bear fruit all of us, because apart from him, we can't. Not fruit that's lasting. We can look at that plastic fruit that's bright colors, you can put it through the washing machine. It does nothing for anybody. It doesn't nourish. But if we want to be effective, this is the way to do it. Roots in where nobody can see, draw up nourishment, live in that union with him, and constantly, where the turmoil comes, exchange it for what he gives. And as we prayed this morning, reaching our arms out, receive what he has for you. Oh, there's so much more to share, but time is running out, and I just so want you to know that you may think Jesus has passed you by, but he is willing. He is willing and wanting. I'm going to, in just big brushstrokes, we won't have more scriptures on the screen, just tell you that one of the passages that moves me deeply is from Luke again, where we started in Luke, but this is in Luke 5, which talks about Jesus with the leper. He came into a town, and a man with leprosy came to him. And the leper called out and said, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus looked at him and said, I want to. And he touched him, and he was made whole. When I was researching years ago, when I was at studying the Bible, leprosy in those times in Galilee was the most dreaded disease because it was like the living dead, they called them. 
It starts with little nodules that become ulcerated over your body. And the, there are three types of lefty. One is that you get ulcerated vocal cords, so you can't speak. It's a rasping, wheezing. Your, your lungs are affected. And your hands and your feet certainly get these ulcerated cords. You lose your eyebrows and eyes, lashes, so you have huge staring eyes with these terrible hands and sore. The second type is that your muscles start to contract and your tendons and your hands become like claws where uh, you are totally misshapen and all the muscles start to, to wither and eventually you actually lose your limbs, fingers, sometimes whole hands, sometimes whole feet. And I'm painting this picture because this is the truth of what happened. That's the second type. The third type is that you get covered by pussy ulcerated sores, oozing as foul discharge that was such a stench. Scholars say that this leper, who'd had many, many years of leprosy, had probably got a mixture of all three, because that's how it was. They all lived in leper colonies, and they caught things, and the, the diseases spread, although it wasn't, some of it was not contagious. So this man, if you can just picture, he was unclean, he was defiled, he was not allowed in the towns. They were outcasts. He dragged himself to where Jesus was, maybe without limbs, with this rasping voice, staring eyes, totally putrid. And he said to Jesus, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus not only looked at him, and at a word, he could have healed him like he did with the centurion's servant. He could have put mud on certain parts like he did with some. He said, I want to. And he touched him. Divine love in action. When you touched or was near, were near to a leper, you became defiled. So nobody went near them. Jesus embraced him and loved him, touched him, and he was made new. And as we close now, I'd like you to just close your eyes and we'll just pray with me. Would the band come up, please? Maybe there's a part of you, a secret part that you've never shared with anybody, that you know is like a sore that has worried you. Maybe there's a heartache, a partner left you, or a child is just leading such a mess of a life. Maybe the things you've done that disappointed you and yourself. Maybe there have been just a series of things going wrong and you're at a place where you're just desperate. Possibly you've led your life and you've been really comfortable, but you know something is missing. There's no abundance, there's no fullness, and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. This morning, we've talked of the divine exchange, not only hearing about it, but experiencing for ourselves, truly. Let's pray while your eyes are closed and heads apart. Loving Father God, thank you that this good news, this gospel, is the truth. Through the ages and eons of time, your word has got the same themes. I set before you life and death. Choose life. Put your roots into me. Draw up nourishment and life from me. 
you will bear fruit. Fruit of love, joy, peace, self-control, patience, things you long for. I can do it through you, he's saying. Trust me, open yourself and receive. This is what I have for you. While every eye is closed and every head's bowed, if that's you and you would like to pray a prayer and say this is a new start, just slip your hand up quietly so that I can see and I'll pray. I see that hand, I see that hand. Thank you. I see hands up, up in the top, two, three, many hands up there. Thank you. And I see hands down here. Thank you at the back. Put your hands on and I see your hand. Wherever you are, if you say this is the moment, Lord, I do want to know you as I've never known you before. I want to be anointed. I want to receive you in the fullness. Lord God, you've seen the hands, but you know the hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus that all these beloved ones can say thank you that we receive the new life of Jesus that you died on the cross for. And we want to ask you, Lord, to come into us and fill us and renew us, transform us and empower us because you anoint us. Thank you for this divine, beautiful exchange. In Jesus' name, amen.